Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often they are founded in fact. Broadcasting live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California. This is the Sixth Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael. And today you are tuning in to Spell It Out, Magic, Reflections, and Shadows. A chance for me to pick a topic and run with it. So this year I am doing a series on different divination tools, largely. And I decided to talk about today clairvoyance for a couple of reasons. One is it's become quite a vogue term for many professional readers. And two, it is truly a fascinating topic. But before we get started, Michael has a few announcements. Hi, everybody. And thanks again for tuning into our show. Um, we've got a whole bunch of great stuff coming up this month. And we have a, all new guests. So it'll be new faces this month. We have next week, Diane Zingle. And she is an expert on the Knights Templar. And we're going to be talking about the Knights Templar and me coming from Scotland. And I have a little bit of circumstantial evidence. My family may have been intertwined with the Templars in Scotland. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, the following week, we have Amanda Limpert, and she is the owner of the blog Spooky Eats. And she's a foodie that's also a paranormal investigator, and she runs around the country investigating all kinds of bed and breakfast and cafes that are haunted and so forth. And so we're really excited to have her. And then we have Carrie Kelvis at the very end of the month, and she's a numerologist, and she's going to be talking about her system for numerology and giving us some insight onto how it works, and, and we're just thrilled to have her as well. Um, and then a big announcement is Kristen and I will be doing a series of tarot classes starting in May. So if you are interested, it's going to be a seven-week series, um, and it's very affordable, affordable. So get a hold of us, email us, and we will be happy to include you and give you some information on it, but that'll be the middle of May. Um, so get all the information on our, six, our website, sixcentsociety.com, S-I-X-T-H, all spelled out. And while you're there, if you can afford to, um, buy us a coffee on Ko-Fi. Really, we appreciate it. It helps us cover some of our production costs. And then um, subscribe to our newsletter, too. It's really nice. We, we give you a bi-monthly newsletter where we'll sort of recap our past episodes and tell you what we have planned for the next couple months coming up. So lots of great information there as well. So I think that's all I have. So take it away, Krista. Great. Thanks so much, Michael. Yes, we're looking forward to doing the class. You can also go to our tarot website, mysticraven.net, and I'll give you that at the end of this show today. So let's get started on clairvoyance because I actually have a lot of ground to cover. I wanted to first share uh, my own introduction to the concept of a clairvoyant person. And uh, the word itself um, comes from the French clair, meaning clear, and voyance, meaning vision, so clear vision. But what that means is actually a lot more interesting than what some people seem to think it means. And so my first introduction to a clairvoyant was through 
um, reading the biography of Edgar Cayce and having a father who some of you know from listening to the show who was fascinated with Edgar Cayce when I was a teenager. And so I read, what um, I think There is a River is the one I read about Cayce. There's a couple other biographies. And he had, um, first of all, he lived from um, 1877 to 1945, and he's called the Sleeping Prophet and was is basically one of the most documented psychics of the 20th century with really uh, astounding abilities that were actually seen and proven. So for instance, as a little boy, he could sleep on books and then know what was in the books, which later on you'll see is a form of clairvoyance. Um, and he, uh, when he became um, more uh, of the psychic, he would be put into a trance and he wouldn't remember what he would see, but he started doing these medical readings for people largely where he could literally see inside the body medically and without any medical training. And again, this was proven that he got things right about uh, the ability to do this. And there's a lot of other clairvoyant abilities. Uh, all of this, however, centered, centered around the fact that he really wanted to help people. He had this great aspiration and he was a deeply religious man um, which we will talk about a little later. So this was my introduction to what a clairvoyant is. And it made a big impression upon me as a young person. So that, wow, what a great and interesting person. I was also introduced through uh, becoming, taking refuge with the Tibetan master, Venerable Ken Kempo Karta Rinpoche, when I was 23 in New York State. I took refuge and, and really started getting actively involved with learning Tibetan Buddhism and doing the um, whatever the practices we were all doing at the time. And my impression of anything psychic was based on the Tibetan Buddhist was it wasn't truly encouraged. It was seen as, as sort of a side effect, possibly. Um, and again, you'll see that we'll talk a little bit about that's true in, in yoga too, that it's a side effect of spiritual practice, which can indicate you're making some progress, but is not the goal of spiritual practice. And I'll, again, I'm going to go into that a little bit more. So it wasn't really, in fact, even talking about any kind of accomplishment that you might have spiritually really was not encouraged in um, the, by the teachers I studied with. They really wanted you to focus on becoming a better person and um, growing your ability to be compassionate and kind and and working on yourself. So that's what I kind of was, I guess, um, sort of really what the brew I was in when I was very young. And those are the kinds of people I met. And so I sort of assumed certain things about psychicism and, and including clairvoyance, which I, I've changed my views a little bit on. But at the same time, I think many of, of what I learned was very positive. Um, so it, I also noticed uh, when I was younger, and this was in the, the 70s and 80s, when I would go to a psychic or my father, they they never used the word clairvoyant. They only used the word psychic. And um, they, uh, I think one of the reasons clairvoyance has become a very popular word right now is there was this period of time where some readers professionally wanted to separate themselves from what some people called the neon psychics, the ones that would take people's money and a lot of their money and were really frauds in that way. Even if they had some ability, they were taking thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And so there was this desire to not be put together in with 
psychics. And so more people use the word intuitive and clairvoyant. And then, of course, all the other clairs, which became a little crazy, if you ask me. Um, and perhaps we'll do a show on some of the other clairs. Uh, but clairvoyance is enough. When you see what was, I think, meant by many traditions, you'll see clairvoyance covers a vast amount of abilities. So that was that was one reason I think the word clairvoyance has become popular. Now, there's an ego aspect of it. I'm a clairvoyant, but I don't think everybody using that word is like that. I think that also some people use the word not really fully comprehending that it has a rich um, history and it has a lot of other abilities associated with it. But let's get going on some of what the views that I have found. Uh, this is not an exhaustive look at the word clairvoyance, but these are some of the views that probably have influenced uh, the Western world and the Eastern world. And probably one of the ones I'm going to spend the most time on is a view by C. Uh, w. Leadbeater. And he lived um, from 1854 to 1934. He was an author of over 60 books and pamphlets and a member of the Theosophical Society. So he wrote a lot on the occult. And I've had for quite a while this book on clairvoyance, which I've always been meaning to see, you know, well, what does he really say it is in detail? Because I have my own assumptions of what I think it is. Uh, and so I, I did use a lot of it for the show because it's really broken down very logically. And then I'm going to look a little bit at, at Alistair Crowley has um, a chapter from Magic and Theory and Practice where he talks a little bit about clairvoyance and again, just a tiny bit about the yogic and Buddhist view. Uh, so let's get going on the um, Ledbetter's idea of clairvoyance. So the first thing I would say is, um, as I said, here's the book, The Clairvoyance, which I really encourage you get and that you look at. And the first thing is that maybe you're going to want to know if you're starting to have some clairvoyant experiences. And so how are you going to know that you are? And he does actually start out talking about some of the ways you can tell if you have a tendency towards clairvoyance, which, by the way, he and many others believe everybody can develop it. So, and there's different methods of developing it. So for instance, one of the one ways is you can just have a striking vision and that you've never had before. And a lot of times if it's only a one-time thing, then you'll think it's a hallucination and you won't really put a lot of emphasis into it. And that you'll see, you know, stories of people saying, I had this vision once and this came true. Um, there's some other uh, sort of things that can happen that aren't quite as dramatic in a sense. One is that you can start seeing colors and, and vibrations of the human aura kind of flittering, not all the time. I've also, I found that can happen in, for me, like if you're watching a concert sometimes or a lecturer that has a lot of really charisma and energy, or maybe you have a rapport. And um, another sign that you may be developing some clairvoyance or have some is that you see faces, landscapes, uh, colored clouds floating before you right before you go to sleep. And you see them in front of you, not necessarily in your mind's eye. So there, there's some debate about the mind's eye, internal visions, and then do you see things outwardly and clearly? And I, I'm sort of on the fence about that. Uh, but this is what uh, Ledbetter says. And then the most common, he said, is the ability to um, recollect greater, with greater and greater clearness what you have seen and heard on the other planes during sleep. So clairvoyance in dreams uh, is something also well documented throughout history from, you know, 
single incidents to Abraham Lincoln and and many, many stories about that. So let's say, um, but what he's also indicating is that you recollect it and that you more and more don't forget your dreams. And so these people that can, you know, remember like four or five dreams every night, that's a very good sign that you are developing the ability for clairvoyance. Um, so that's just a couple of, of sort of ways that, that he thinks show that you can, uh, are beginning to develop the clairvoyance. He says that, um, you know, the, he does talk about sort of different cultures a little bit and, and some of, he has a little bit of a, a sort of a, to me, a little bit of a racist edge with some of the way he talks about some of the uh, other cultures. But again, I guess he's a man of his time and I'm not going to judge him on one book. Uh, but basically, he he seems to emphasize, along with the yogis, that developing clairvoyance is also a sign that you're becoming more spiritual and that you're growing spiritually. However, that doesn't mean you're a master or you've accomplished anything. So again, it's it, let's say I am on a religious path or a spiritual path. It starts happening. Then it's sort of saying, like, keep going, keep doing what you're doing. And this can be uh, a good sign. Now, there is um, there are some variety of, of people that one of the things I've noticed, maybe one of the differences, it seems like on the surface that the Western esoteric view of developing clairvoyance is um, much stronger a yes that this is a good thing to do than the Eastern view. And again, this is a very generalized statement, and I can see the validity of both points. But having said that, they, they all seem to agree that it's there to help yourself on some level and to help others. And it's not meant to be a bragging point or to make you feel... Um, again, it's more special or to even misuse it. And especially if you look at the Buddhist and the yoga, they, they don't want you to show your powers except for under certain circumstances. Because again, you can see what happens when, when that, that, that can go terribly wrong. Um, so that's an example of, you know, maybe some ways in which clairvoyance starts to appear in, in people. Now, what's interesting about Ledbetter's book is it, he, he breaks it into these different categories. And this is where you begin to see that clairvoyance is really clear vision, is an ability that allows um, you to do a variety of things. And one of the most common things that I can see with most of the traditions is, is clairvoyance. You learn to rise on the different planes. And we can sort of talk about what that would mean Kabbalistically. We can talk about it accor according to the theosophists and that you move through these different levels of consciousness, and each of the higher ones gives uh, clairvoyance a much richer and clearer ability. So one of the things I totally agree with is that there's this um, gradation of amongst clairvoyance, which they may or may not be aware of, but what's neat about at least Ledbetter's book is he, he does show what some of the abilities would be according to the different levels that you're on and so that you can kind of test yourself in a sense. And I'm sure there's actually more, but I, I, I think it's, it's probably a good idea if you, if you consider yourself a clairvoyant, you might want to look into sort of the gradations because I, I thought it was really interesting and helpful. So he breaks it into, in his book, he breaks it into what he calls simple clairvoyance. Uh, and then there's some subcategories clairvoyance in space and clairvoyance in time, which you can sort of guess what that's about. 
And so the simple clairvoyance in his book is um, a mere opening of sight, enabling its possessor to see whatever astral or etheric entities happen to be present around him. Now that sounds a little bit like what a lot of people think clairvoyance are, but actually when we go into detail, we'll see that there's a lot more to that actually. And first of all, in simple clairvoyance, um, in in the theosophical view, there are these different planes, and I'm aware of, since I'm not really um, a, a scholar on theosophy, but I'm aware that there's the astral plane, no, first the etheric plane, the astral plane, the mental plane, and then you go on up, I know there's a buddhic plane, so there's, each plane is, is harder and harder for anyone to, to sort of rise to or get to. So what he talks about in his book on clairvoyance is mostly the etheric plane and the astral plane. And so what he said about, he starts with the etheric, he says that basically some of the abilities that you would find with people that are, are seen using the clairvoyance on, from the etheric plane, first of all, inab, inanimate objects would seem transparent. So that means you would be able to see through the wall into the next room, literally, and that's how you can see what's going on. And then some people, of course, can extend that that's that clairvoyance through space. Um, you can see into the contents of a locked box. You can read a sealed letter. And this is a sign that you're using the etheric vision. Uh, he also says that you can also see sometimes, um, not sometimes, but one of the abilities is seen through the ground and seen down underneath things. Uh, another thing that you'd be able to do with the clairvoyance for the etheric is that it enables the person to perceive more or less various classes of creatures, elementals, and the lower orders of nature spirits. You can see the etheric double of man. And this was a cool one, I thought. Um, your sense of color you have it, um, is extended and you can see colors that you normally would not be able to see. And that, that sort of reminded me of a hawk because <laughs> they have ability to see these invisible colors. So that would mean that you have those abilities, then you would be seen with on the, on the etheric plane. The next one is the astral vision, and he calls that the fourth dimension and goes into some detail what that looks like. Very complex, by the way. Um, so I, I was kind of fascinated with that. And in this way, um, in this plane, the clairvoyance, you see the um, aura of plants and animals, as well as their desires and emotions. It's one of the most useful forms of clairvoyance because evidently you can see the, the human aura as far up as the astral body. So you can't see the the upper body of, of the aura. So that would mean maybe seeing some of the more spiritual aspects. But at the same time, there's so much you can do to help the person and see what their issues are. So that's one benefit of, of being able to use clairvoyance in the astral plane. And then there's other new objects. You see some more elementals and nature spirits. Uh, there was also, oh, this was really interesting, that you would be able to go to sleep without breaking your consciousness. And so you, you really can live, start living in these two worlds, which I believe Edgar Cayce was, towards his end, the end of his life, he could see the spiritual world while he was in his waking state. I remember reading that about him. And, and many of these points, um, if you go and look at Edgar Cayce's life, he, he truly was a clairvoyant. Um, and then the other thing that was really kind of cool, according to, again, Ledbetter, is that you can evidently look at the, the smallest physical or 
astral particle and examine it through this clair clairvoyant in the astral plane. And so you can look at it, the atom and, and sort of it looks larger and you can look into it. So as you can see, probably most of us don't have these powers. <laughs> and, and he does spend quite a bit of time going into the partial powers of clairvoyance. And you, you can guess that they're, you know, partial of what we just went through, or there's something inconsistent about it so that you can't command it. And one of the things that becomes quite clear in both the Eastern and Western traditions is that a truly fully developed clairvoyant has command of this ability. And you don't have intermittent visions. You don't have vague and, and um, you know, cloudy vision. And this is something that they all talk about. Now, I did want to mention um, that in the Eastern view, it is one of the cities, and that's a, an accomplishment to indicate you're at a certain point of realization. And yet they don't usually want you to display it there are examples, even in the Buddha's life, of using it for the benefit of people. But it, I think one of the dangers, which is obvious, is people will get mesmerized by magical powers and they won't want to do the work, the spiritual work of really working on themselves and developing their true compassionate nature. So I think that's why it's really not emphasized as much. I, I personally have seen evidence of um, Tibetan teachers with uh, psychic abilities of some kind, including clairvoyance, never, never, ever mentioning they were clairvoyant. And, and I actually don't have a problem with people talking about their abilities up to some some degree, but I think it's it's overstated in in a lot of people's resumes, and particularly if they 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 talk about I'm clairvoyant, I'm clair this, I'm intuitive, I'm this and that. I I honestly think if you were if you were clairvoyant, like even partially with some of what we're learning clairvoyance is, that's a lot. It covers also, I'm going to skip around a little bit, in the idea of the clairvoyance um, in time. It, the future clairvoyant is what is um, Ledbetter, it says it's second sight. So within clairvoyance is the second sight, which is what a lot of us used to call ESP and the ability usually to see something horrifying, which it does seem to be true. People see something horrifying that becomes, you know, comes true. And that is part of clairvoyance. Another part of clairvoyance is um, when you can hold an object and tell what's going on with the person through the object, and that is uh, psychometry, I think. So there's a whole bunch of different abilities under the umbrella of clairvoyance. And today, I think it's been watered down to mean a form of psychicism. And again, I, I'm mostly basing this on what I think the popular view of clairvoyance is and not specific people that use the word. I wouldn't obviously know that. I haven't done enough talking with people. Um, so as I said earlier, um, Crowley has an interesting chapter in Magic in Theory and Practice, uh, just a little bit on clairvoyance. And again, you see that it's about rising through the planes and in his case, he, he talks about the development of the astral body. And there's a whole 
you know, training to do that so that you can rise on the plane. There's, there's advice on how to do it. There's advice on how to get back in your body. And that he really thinks it's a hugely important part of any magician's world. In fact, he says in Magic and Theory and Practice that um, there was one really cool quote. Here it is. Um, you have got to go out rising on the plains every day of your life, year after year. You are not to be disheartened by failure or too much encouraged by success in any one practice or set of practices. What you are doing is what will be of real value to you in the end, and that is developing a character, creating a karma, which will give you the power to do your will. So clairvoyance is, it's so fascinating to read in sort of the, the late 1800s and 1900s, the what was meant by that word. And I can see that it, it really is more of um, a method of spiritually developing that gives you these abilities alongside of it so that you can either use it for your own spiritual development or and or to really help other people. And that's really my main point about, you know, what I wanted to make. I did want to mention that from what I can see from my experience, a little bit of how people come to clairvoyance besides training. And this was, um, I read this in the uh, Tibetan Buddhist will say, sometimes it's a past life karma. If you are born seen and let's say you've had no training and, and there are cases where people are just born with some ability like this and it's probably been developed in another lifetime so it's a karmic uh, thing that is passed on uh, palmistry says there can be um, genetics so that you have a predisposition and there are signs in the palm that will show that you might have some tendency again towards clairvoyance and um, other sort of intuitive abilities. So I remember reading, um, meeting a palm reader that would tell people about that. And um, head injuries. I did want to mention, they're really, I know that's kind of, you know, overdone a little bit. Oh, I hit my head and I could see things. However, there are some very interesting cases of it. My The one I'm the most fascinated with is I learned about this in The Secret History of Dreaming by Robert Moss about Harriet Tubman. And um, as many of you know, she was the, mo the most successful conductor of the Underground Railroad, and she never lost a package. Uh, she was able to help, I don't know how many slaves to freedom. She lived from 1822 to 1913. Anyway, she, as a little girl at 12 years old, she was hit with a two pound lead weight in the forehead and she died and came back to life after that she had trouble with her head a lot and she often would just suddenly need to take a nap but during this time she would fall into these sleeps and have these incredible visions that would help her to see the the whole territory and to see where she needed to take people to avoid um, being caught and there's some other reasons why she might have had this ability in her family but it seems like the head trauma in her case really did help her psychically to become even more powerful and and the proof was in in the pudding in the sense that it worked and she saved the lives of, of many of the slaves so i i was always really fascinated with that, please don't go home and, and hit yourself on the head and say, I want to become a clairvoyant. I don't really advise that. But in some cases, it, it probably does something to certain parts of the brain and, and certain illnesses, too, that would affect, again, the neurology of the brain. I think it is quite possible. And there are other modern documentations of that. 
So that's uh, a little bit about clairvoyance. And I wanted to also mention, since I, I, I don't usually mention and I keep forgetting to mention that Michael and I are also readers. You know us through the show if you watch this and we've been professional tarot readers for almost 25 years. Uh, so if you want to book a reading with us, go to our website, www.mysticraven.net, M-Y-S-T-I-C-R-A-V-E-N.net, and it gives you information about what we do. You can book online or you can contact us. And by the way, that is also a place you can see whenever we have classes, we make sure we put it up on our website. So I hope that you, um, I hope this helps you think about clairvoyance in a way that is is more thoughtful. I, I think it's misused. I think some of the people that call themselves clairvoyants, I think it's innocent misuse. I think it's some of it's fraudulent misuse. And I think um, some of it is uh, egotistical. Uh, I don't know. Unfortunately, when people call themselves a clairvoyant, unless I get to know the person, I'm not going to know until I get to know them if they are the real deal. But one of the things I have found personally is that the most, um, the most, the most, I guess, accurate psychics I went to when I was younger had a very deep spiritual path of some kind. And it might not be the same as mine, but it seems like it was part of something greater. So look for people that have that in their life, that they're doing this within a spiritual practice of some kind. I hope this helps and I look forward to Seeing you next time as we continue to explore the esoteric and the obscure together. Until then, have a magical week.